Attention, all troops. He's alive. Alive. Welcome to the Rathnerless. You'll hear a lot of people talking badly about fast food nowadays. And sure, fast food does have its problems, but basically anything that might be bad for you that you do without moderation can cause problems. Yet fast food and the fast food restaurant has a very special place in our culture. When I was younger, my family didn't have a lot of money, yet we wanted to go out to eat and sit in a restaurant and do something that we felt was special. And one of the places that could accommodate us on a budget was the fast food restaurants around us. On a good day, you could feed a family of four for under $12. And that $12 was well spent because the casual atmosphere, the quickly delivered food, and the fact that we were out at a place where we could eat together created memories. And my family could get goofy when we went out to eat, but at a fast food restaurant where things are casual, everybody cut loose. And I have very fond memories of eating at a dozen fast food places, everyone that was in the area and I return to them as an adult because of this. If you have felt this way about fast food and thought you were alone, you are not. I've invited a great group of people to come in and tell their stories and positive memories about fast food experiences from their youth. I hope listening to these people will help to jog memories that you might have and maybe get you to reconsider your relationship with these restaurants. Fast food has its place in this world, and here's a great bunch of people who are going to tell you why. We have a story-packed episode ahead of us, so without further ado, let's start the show. first contributor is Metagirl, who talks about the freedom that fast food could offer when in high school. What could be more American than the combination of fast food and car culture? Fast food and open road and we are free. That's how I felt my senior year in high school when I was granted senior out-to-lunch privileges. No more cafeteria with its weird smells, long bench tables, and click-based isolationism. As soon as the bell rang indicating the lunch period, my friend Janet and I would hightail it to the parking lot and head straight to Burger King. This was a highlight of my high school years for a number of reasons. First of all, leaving the high school grounds during the school day? No teachers, no kids other than the ones we chose to be with. It was the height of freedom and independence. 
Secondly, though this was the early 90s, my friend Janet had just purchased a used early 80s LTD Crown Vic with chrome dome hubcaps, comfy bench seats, and an ample ashtray. I remember that the headliner would constantly fall on our faces despite the spray adhesive that we seemed to constantly be applying. Out to lunch meant a fun ride in Bertha, Janet's pet name for her car. Lastly, the trips to BK were special because my family didn't frequent fast food restaurants, so the place seemed exotic, and yet it was comfortable to me because I was so familiar with the joint from TV commercials I had watched my whole life. Fast food was the obvious choice for senior out-to-lunch dining. We only had 40 minutes to leave the school, eat lunch, park the car, and get back to class, so speed was critical. Also, we were kids, so we didn't have very much money. The BK delivered the timeliness and economy we needed. Despite our love for Bertha, we always ate inside at the Burger King, never drove through. We were corralled alongside other teens and some adults on their lunch hours, waiting in a line that seemed endless. I remember looking down at the somewhat sticky brown and orange floor tiles as I waited impatiently. Finally, it would be my turn. I always ordered the same thing, an Italian chicken sandwich with fries and a chocolate shake. I loved this combo. The sandwich itself was perfect. The amply breaded chicken, gooey mozzarella, dab of marinara sauce, and a long sesame seed bun. Who could ask for more? It even came in a box, like a little midday present. I ate the fries steadily throughout the meal, but always made sure to leave some for dipping in my shake, which was the ultimate dessert. We would always eat in the Burger King atrium, which was a set of tables under an arching wall of tinted glass. It was sort of like eating in a fast food greenhouse. The tables were, of course, bolted to the floor, with attached chairs that turned about 45 degrees in each direction. We'd twist back and forth for added entertainment. As we ate, we'd watch to see which of our classmates would show up. But fortunately for us, as we were looking to get away from too many kids, if only for a little while, the Burger King seemed unofficially reserved for just our immediate friends. Other kids ate at Basio's Deli or Varsity Pizza, but to us, it was BK all the way. And I'm thankful for those carefree fast food memories. Thanks, Metagirl. Next up is Rick Reynolds who talks about his time working at McDonald's and is about to educate you about the very underappreciated filet of fish sandwich. When I was a teenager, I worked at a local McDonald's. Uh, This would be during some of 1986 and on through the summer of 1987. I remember it as being pretty fun and also challenging in terms of keeping up with the pace of a fast food restaurant. It is also the first place that I remember hearing the phrase, If you have time to lean, you have time to clean, meaning that any idle time could and should be spent doing something, and if you didn't have a specific thing to do, then you should be cleaning something nearby. I was recently reminiscing about that time of life with a friend. I have a lot of memories working there. There was a lady that came in nearly every morning just for coffee and politely requested a fresh pot each time, so we had to dump out whatever coffee was ready and make it fresh for her. I could tell some awful stories of cleaning the bathrooms, but I won't. I remember helping a manager with the menu board outside. Apparently, this woman didn't know certain tricks you can use with metal screws to get the threads to line up, and that was new to her. I remember using a 
deck brush for the first time in my life to clean the tile floors before using a mop. The owner-manager woman would sometimes come in and start throwing out all the food under the heating lamps that was even slightly past its serve-by-this-time freshness point, making us immediately start cooking fresh food, even if no one was in the restaurant to order it. But one memory that has stayed with me concerns cooking Filet-of-Fish sandwiches. At our location, the Filet-of-Fish sandwich was not a very popular item. Uh, We might cook a couple of them per hour, so it was common to be caught unawares when someone came in to order a Filet-of-Fish, and the person at the counter would have to shout back to the kitchen to drop a filet, or drop two filets, meaning to put one or two pieces of fish into the fryer for the sandwiches. On a Friday, I came into work after school. The restaurant was pretty busy, so I put on my apron and started helping wherever the manager told me that I was going to be working in the kitchen that day. Within a few minutes, the counter called back to drop 16 more fillets into the fryer. I laughed at this obvious joke. 16 fillets. We'd be wasting food like crazy if we cooked that much fish. I'd never cooked that much in an entire shift. So I ignored the request, marking it down to a joke. A joke that seemed a bit misplaced. I mean, we were pretty busy, and it seemed like a little bit too busy to be wasting time on joking around, but it was still an obvious joke. Within a minute or so, however, a manager came by and asked about how the fillets were coming. I expressed my confusion, and the manager quickly jumped in to drop the requested fish fillets into the fryer for the sandwiches. I didn't know what to make of it. I mean, why were we cooking so much food that we obviously weren't going to sell? Well, perhaps you have guessed the reason. It was the start of the Lent season. The church I attended was not Catholic, and we didn't observe Lent. And honestly, it wasn't even really discussed. So I didn't realize that Lent season was open and upon us. But even though I wasn't Catholic, I lived in a pretty strongly Catholic area. And on Fridays during Lent, it was enough to radically change the cooking schedule of our local McDonald's. To this day, when Lent season comes around, I wonder if that McDonald's is getting swamped with orders for filet of fish sandwiches. And maybe some new kid is there, scratching his head, wondering why the counter needs so many of such an unpopular item. Thanks, Rick. Our next story is from Chris, whose fast food experience doesn't revolve around the food, but instead revolves around the toys that you could get at your favorite fast food restaurants, and his brush with a very famous fast food clown. Fast food memories. I don't have any. My parents believed in eating healthy. The only times I was in a McDonald's was because of a friend's birthday. But I had a lot of the premiums. My mom and I went to a lot of yard sales and a lot of flea markets. And of course, those things are cheap. It's like free take them or five cents. So... We picked them up and picked them up and picked them up. And the problem you get when you have a lot of them, you have no room for them. So we're also attending, we still do, a quarterly toy show. And we had met another couple that collected, among other things, the food premiums. And they mentioned that there was going to be a big fast food premium convention here in St. Louis. Now, St. Louis was a test market for McDonald's, so we got toys before the rest of the country. We got toys that the rest of the country didn't get, like the original Transformers and My Little Ponies, I believe are only St. Louis items, and like the Astro Snicks, 
I think St. Louis got a few more than the rest. So, it was a lot of fun. The couple that we knew from the toy show, one of the other things they were into was Star Wars, just like me. So, I had brokered a deal. I felt so grown up that I had got this deal. And we negotiated, and I brought an extra Luke in the Stormtrooper outfit and a Lando in the General Pilot outfit, and I traded him for a yak face. So take that, Rob. And that started the day off great. Then we set up, and it was so fun. I mean, these people that were there, you know, love a clown, so who's not going to be in a good mood? Everyone there was nice. We sold a bunch of stuff. It was amazing. Loved it. We also got to meet Ronald. Now, I should have Wikipedia'd this before I started talking, but the Ronald we met was the early, no, the mid to late 80s. I don't, he might have been in the 90s. I can't remember when this was. Anyway, so the one I would remember growing up seeing on Saturday morning cartoons. I know that much. And he was great. I mean, in character 100% of the time. But he also, not only was he taking pictures and signing autographs, but he would walk around the booth and meet everyone. I mean, he'd shake your hand. He'd say, hey, you know, glad you love McDonald's. That kind of stuff. Really one of my favorite conventions ever. I've been to a lot. And one of my favorite memories that I have with my folks you know, well, my dad, I mean, he helped load the car, but one of my favorite fast food memories. In fact, my only fast food memory. Thanks, Chris. Next up is Vin Vectrix. Vin talks fondly about his love for Burger King that was fueled by a desire for, you guessed it, Empire Strikes Back glasses. Growing up, there was always a battle in my family about where we would stop for meals during our annual road trip from Colorado to Montana. My mother wanted something healthy, my father liked Arby's, and my sister and I wanted McDonald's. Given the limited food options on our particular route, we often all ended up disappointed. But in the summer of 1980, I switched my allegiance from McDonald's to Burger King. They were hosting an Empire Strikes Back promotion, during which they were offering a different glass each week. One week's glass featured Luke and Yoda, Another depicted Lando, Han, and Leia. The third glass had C-3PO, an R2-D2, and a Tauntaun. And then the fourth glass featured Darth Vader and Boba Fett. In the days before eBay, I knew that if I missed a glass, I'd be out of luck for the foreseeable future. Our annual road trip to visit my grandparents was something I looked forward to every year. But in 1980, it was definitely tense during mealtime. Back then... There weren't exactly a lot of Burger Kings in rural Wyoming and Montana for us to stop at, and there was no GPS to guide me to the nearest one either. So, in our car, when we happened to be in a big town, I'd be praying that Burger King was the first restaurant we'd see. Otherwise, we might stop at McDonald's. Or, if I was able to persuade my parents to keep driving, we might pass all the decent fast food joints, never find a Burger King, and then we'd end up eating in a local dive. During that meal, I'd have to endure the angry stares of my sister, who'd point out, correctly, that not only did I fail to find a Burger King glass, but I also cost her a happy meal. As the trip and then the summer wound down, I found myself in possession 
of three of the four Empire Strikes Back glasses. Not too bad. I never did get that one with Luke and Yoda. But in a testimonial to Burger King, I've got to say, we had those glasses for years and years. In fact, one or two might still be buried at the back of my parents' cupboard. Now that I think about it, the next time I see my sister, I really ought to take her to McDonald's. I still owe her for that summer. Thanks, Vin. Next up on the show is Weird Paul. Weird Paul reminisces about a local fast food chain called Winkies and how his family used it as a reward for being good at the doctors. He then talks about a precursor to Chuck E. Cheese that existed in his neck of the woods, Bimbo's Pizza. My earliest fast food memory takes me back to about 1975. I was four years old. My dad promised to take me to Winkies if I would stand still and get my shot at the doctors, like a good boy. Winkies was a chain of hamburger shops in Pittsburgh, PA, and they were similar to McDonald's. Their slogan was, Winkies makes you happy to be hungry. I really wanted to get to go to Winkies because going out to eat was a rare treat for me back then. My dad made this promise because the last trip to Dr. Heath's office hadn't gone so well. For some reason, the doctor, nurse, or whoever else all left the room briefly, and I saw this as my chance to escape my captivity. I ran out into the waiting room with my pants hanging down and made a mad dash for the front door. Fortunately for everyone involved, I was caught and dragged back into the office to receive the inoculation. My dad made a wise decision because this time I took it like a man and was then taken to Winkies straight away. The last Winkies closed in 1982. Another local fast food chain we had was Bimbo's Pizza, although there were also a couple of them in Michigan for some reason. Bimbo's was kind of a 1970s precursor to Chuck E. Cheese. Bimbo's was the place to go for kids' birthday parties, and I remember going there many times when my classmates became one year older. They had a clown who would throw plates of whipped cream pies into the lucky faces of chosen children. This was done on a stage at one end of the building. I always worried that maybe I would get one of the plates of cream in my face, but my anxiety was for nothing because that never happened. Apparently, some people actually got married at Bimbo's, and they found out that the pie-throwing was not reserved for just birthday parties. They also had live music and weekly turtle racing. There were no video games like you'd find at a Chuck E. Cheese in the decades to follow, but there sure was a lot of fun. The last Bimbo's in Pittsburgh closed in 1983. A pie in the face at a pizza place. Now, Chuck E. Cheese should have kept that going. Next up is Eric Lefebvre. Eric talks about the spectrum of experiences he had at McDonald's and shares with us an especially trying ordeal at a McDonaldland playground. Despite having grown up mere miles from the very first McDonald's in Des Plaines, Illinois, I've always had a very tenuous relationship with the restaurant. Don't get me wrong. I have some fond childhood memories, like the birthday party where they let me and ten of my second-grade friends go behind the counter to see how shakes were made. Push button. Shake comes out into cup. To the plethora of Happy Meal premiums, like the Star Trek The Motion Picture Iron-On Transfer that added that special finishing touch to my homemade Mr. Spock uniform. But my absolute worst McDonald's memory happened when I was about eight years old. When McDonald's first began installing McDonaldland-themed outdoor playgrounds at their restaurants. If you don't know about McDonaldland, 
check out the Retroist podcast on the subject. During the early days of this program, only one of our local McDonald's had such a playground, and it wasn't the one closest to our house, so it took a good year or so for us to finally make our way there on a day when the weather was nice and we could use the equipment. Each piece was based on a McDonaldland character. There was the Mayor McCheese Carousel and the Fry Guy Bouncy Ride On. But the piece that captured my attention was the Chief Big Mac Fort. The fort consisted of a metal tube anchored to the ground with a kid-sized hole near the bottom. There was a ladder on the inside of the tube that would allow you to climb up into a large fiberglass Chief Big Mac hamburger head with metal bars all around the perimeter presumably to keep kids from falling out. Now I don't know what age or size kid they had in mind when they designed this thing, but it looked big enough and sturdy enough for me, so my eight-year-old self didn't hesitate climbing right up the tube and into the giant hamburger head. I hung my hands out of the bars along the curve of the head, taunting my little brother who was afraid to enter himself. But when he decided to try one of the other pieces of equipment, I quickly realized I couldn't move. I was stuck inside Big Mac's head. In the meantime, a dozen smaller kids had climbed up the tube and into the head with me. After panicking for a minute or two, I realized that I could shimmy toward the opening in the center using my elbows. It was a slow, uncomfortable process, made slower by the elbows and kicks of what seemed an endless swarm of five-year-olds now packed into the fiberglass sausage casing with me. I must have still been panicking, because when I finally reached the opening, I discovered that I hadn't thought my escape plan through, and that I would have to go down head first. Despite my hamburger prison being a mere four feet off the ground, it would be a hard fall to the astroturf below. So, after some careful consideration, and despite the whining little kids whose path in and out of the head I also completely now blocked, I decided that I would shimmy all the way back around the hamburger so I could go down the tube feet first. I felt like I was stuck in there for an hour. But I imagine it must have been closer to ten minutes because I don't remember my parents saying a word when I finally got out and found them sitting nearby with our food. Despite this somewhat traumatic memory, I must admit I was a little sad when they converted all the McDonaldland outdoor playgrounds to the more generic-looking, and probably safer for kids, indoor play places. Sure, I might have been trapped inside a giant metal and fiberglass hamburger character's head, but I learned a very important lesson that day. Never climb into anything with bars on it, especially if it only has one way in and out. That is a horrible nightmare, and it's something I'm glad never happened to me. Next up is Rob O'Hara, who shares his memory of collecting Diener figures that you could only get at McDonald's. One of my favorite retro fast food memories has to do with collecting Diener figures from McDonald's. You may or may not be familiar with the name Diener, but I'm sure you'd recognize the figures if you saw them. Diener is a German company, and they used to create little tiny figures of dinosaurs and monsters and aliens and cowboys and Indians and all different kinds of things. 
all of their sets contain eight different figures in one of five different colors, so each set contains a total of 40 unique figures. The earliest set I remember were the dinosaurs released through McDonald's Happy Meals, so there were eight different dinosaurs that came in five different colors. Later on, there was a line of monsters from old horror and science fiction movies they released, and after that, they moved to UFOs, so they were aliens and spaceships, and each one of these sets, again, came with 40 unique figures. I'm both proud and embarrassed to admit that I own complete sets of all these figures. Yes, that means all eight figures of each set in all five colors for a total of 40 for each one. I'm embarrassed to say that it would have been a lot cheaper for me to just buy the Happy Meals back in the day and hang on to the figures as opposed to what it cost me on eBay to build these complete collections. Back in the day, it was so exciting to open up a Happy Meal, reach down and see which of the figures you would get, what color, and trade them among friends, take them to school. For me, it was the seeds of becoming a collector, and I didn't even know it at the time. So when I look over to my bookshelf and I see those figures, that's what I think of. I think of those times uh, as a kid going to McDonald's, getting a Happy Meal, reaching down in that box and seeing if I was going to get a gray Tyrannosaurus Rex or an orange alien or a pink UFO. Whatever it was, I was happy to get it, and at least as excited about that toy as I was about the cheeseburger to follow. Thanks, Rob. Next up is C.T., who shares his memories of the Hardys of yesteryear and how a different chain it was compared to the Hardys of today. We're talking classic Hardys, people. One of my favorite fast food places to go when I was growing up was Hardee's. The Hardee's of today is substantially different than the Hardee's of 20 to 30 years ago. When Carl's Jr. bought them in the 90s, it became almost a completely different restaurant from what I remembered as a kid, despite having very similar types of items, hamburgers and fries and like. I have uh, several fond memories of Hardee's. My first memory is from the early 1980s when their kids' meal featured a little 3D Marvel comic book line that told the origins of various superheroes, including Spider-Man and his amazing friends, Stars, Iceman, and Firestar. And uh, they also had a little Spider-Woman book as a part of that line, and that was the first time I even realized there was a Spider-Woman. When I got a little older, my family moved from South Carolina to Illinois, and down the street from where my family attended church, there was a Hardee's. And Hardee's had several lines of plush animals for sale at different times. They had a set of shirt tails, stuffed animals based on those characters from that Saturday morning cartoon. They also had a couple of different lines of Disney plush dolls. And then uh, once the California Raisins got big, I remember collecting the PVCs and bendable plush dolls as well. My memories go beyond the toys, though. I, I remember really liking the food. At one point, they introduced a line of hamburgers topped with things like pizza sauce and taco meat and mushrooms and Swiss cheese. In fact, the mushroom and Swiss burger was my go-to sandwich for years. At the Hardee's my family and I most often went to, they had an odd setup for the drive through for a few years. Best I can tell, a few other Hardee's in the country had this setup as well, but it wasn't a common thing. Instead of having the kitchen placed in the corner of the restaurant so they could have an employee man a drive through window, the kitchen was structured to be in the center of the building. So when a patron in the drive through would pull up to pay and get their food, there was no employee at that window. The employees would have to send a metal basket from the kitchen over the dining area into, through the window. And this metal basket went on this motorized track. And it, it could be really loud if you were inside and it sounded like the metal scraping of a garage door opening. I guess it's also appropriate Hardee's is where my wife and I went on our first date over 20 years ago. 
I'll always have a special fondness in my heart for the 80s and early 90s version of Hardee's. Thanks, CT. Next up is Tom Burgess, who shares his memory of a Star Trek Happy Meal at McDonald's. I lived in Lewiston, Idaho as a kid. We had lots of decent fast food choices in Lewiston. But the one place I liked going to the most was none other than McDonald's. I was the pickiest eater in the history of picky eaters, but for me, McDonald's could do no wrong, and I'll tell you why. One thing McDonald's had going for it, hardly any vegetables. Perfect. Growing up, my favorite food item there was no surprise, the Happy Meal. Most kids loved that thing. If I remember right, the Happy Meal was a rather new thing when I was a kid. My favorite, which is no surprise to people that know me, was the Cheeseburger Happy Meal. As I wolfed down my single cheeseburger and small fries, I'd have the Happy Meal box or whatever that lunch box shaped thing was in front of me so I could look at it while I was eating. I'd read the jokes off the box that never were all that funny and uh, do the crossword puzzles and other games. My most remembered Happy Meal adventures were in 1979 because in 1979, the first Star Trek movie was released. And as a tie-in, McDonald's featured Star Trek on the Happy Meal box. Now, I didn't watch the Star Trek movie until later, but I surely did watch Star Trek reruns enough. The best thing about the Happy Meal was, of course, the prize inside. I was pretty excited to see what sweet toy surprise my Happy Meal had inside. Seeing it was Star Trek and all, what could it be? A, a little replica of the Enterprise, maybe? One of those cool phasers from the show? Heck, my own personal transporter? There could be anything in there. Well, it was, wasn't any of these. I remember getting this weird transparent blue wrist bracelet thing in my Happy Meal. It came with stickers of the crew, and I guess you could stick those on the bracelet or wherever. I don't know. On the top was this hollowed-out raised area you could hide small little items in, I guess. It was kind of lame, and yet, eh, I don't know. For a Happy Meal premium, I guess it was okay. So I remember coming home that afternoon after I had gotten this bracelet thing and showing it off to my buddies in the neighborhood. I showed them how you could pop the top off and hide stuff inside. They didn't seem all that impressed with the new Star Trek wristband thing, except Corey, my buddy, who seemed to sort of fake interest in my new cheapo Star Trek communicator. Well, he was in luck because I had two of them. My brother didn't want his blue communicator. Big surprise. So I gave it to Corey. After a few hours, or what seemed like a few hours, I guess it might have been minutes, I noticed that his shiny new communicator device I gave him was missing. He said he had no idea what happened to it. Did he drop it? Did another friend steal it? What happened to it? Well, after dinner, my dad had gone out to the mailbox to grab the mail. And what do you think dad brought in with the mail? It was that blue wrist thingy number two. The next day, I remember asking Corey about it and if he was the one who dropped the wrist thingy in the mailbox. He said he did because he really didn't want it, and this way, I guess he figured I would be able to get it back, but also save himself from arguing with me about it. I was kind of disappointed, but I figured that was a pretty ingenious way of returning it without the hassle he knew he'd get from me after I'd given it to him. So soon after that underwhelming Happy Meal toy escapade, I actually returned to McDonald's, but this time, Corey was in tow. What was the entree selected that day? You guessed it. The cheeseburger Happy Meal for me. This time, we scored Star Trek Iron-Ons. 
Me being an iron-on aficionado back then, I loved this Star Trek Happy Meal Premium. My mom ironed mine on a t-shirt, and Corey had his ironed on to a t-shirt of his. And for the rest of the summer, we wore these t-shirts practically every other day. So all in all, it kind of turned out okay in the end, because really life's a little like the old Star Trek Happy Meals. Some days you get a crappy blue bracelet, which sucks. Sometimes you get an iron-on, which is awesome. Thanks, Tom. Finally, our last story comes from Vic Sage, who shares an embarrassing experience he had at McDonald's. My most memorable fast food memory isn't one tied to a particular toy or collector's glass that I obtained at Burger King or McDonald's, though the latter was the scene of the incident. My memorable fast food memory concerns embarrassment. It was 1979, and my father and I had just finished watching The Black Hole, and as a further treat, we stopped off at our local McDonald's. It was a Saturday afternoon, and the place was packed and incredibly noisy. After getting my Happy Meal and a burger for himself, my father and I found one of the few available seats, and we got down to business of chowing down and talking about the movie. I should add one more piece of information. The young man that took our order gave us both a large Coke, which to my seven-year-old eyes looked to be trough-sized. That didn't stop me from drinking half of it by the time my father had finished his fries, mind you. I was doing most of the talking. It would be fair to say that my father hadn't cared for the black hole as much as I did. The large amount of coke I had imbibed was making me speak a mile a minute, peppering my father with an assortment of questions about the fate of Dr. Hans Reinhardt and Maximilian and declaring my love of Vincent. I was barely taking a breath, talking and feeding my face and more importantly drinking from that trough of delicious Coca-Cola. As I mentioned earlier, it was quite loud. You didn't have to yell, but you did have to speak up, and being seven, I really had to project my voice. Then, it happened. It started at the pit of my stomach, vibrating my spine as it raised up, and as I took a breath to further praise Vincent, it erupted from my mouth, without warning. The loudest and most painfully long burp that had ever been released in that McDonald's. I'm not positive because time slowed to a crawl. Five seconds seemed like a minute. I'm pretty sure I saw my father's shirt ripple from the force of the belch, and to this day I swear I saw the windows rattle. Finally, the belch ended, and I promise you could hear it echo through the restaurant. My father had a mixture on his face, a, a look of embarrassment and an overwhelming desire to burst out laughing that such a thing had come from his seven-year-old son. The immediate reaction from the patrons and staff of McDonald's was complete silence. I mean it, where before you had to raise your voice to be heard, you could hear a pin drop. It was an uncomfortable silence, but that didn't stop me from continuing my lecture to my father on how awesome the black hole was. Ah, the burp heard round the world. Thanks, Vic. hope you've enjoyed this show and these various fast food memories. I hope this weekend you get out there with your family or by yourself, go to your favorite fast food restaurant, order your favorite food, sit back and relax. And if you make a great memory, share it with other people. There's a lot of people out there who love this type of food, who enjoy these restaurants, and they do like to talk about it. I'm one of them. Just find me, track me down. I'll be happy to talk with you. 
Thanks for listening to the show. For more retro fun, you can drop by the website at www.retroist.com. You can also find me on Facebook and Twitter. I'm at facebook.com slash retroist.com and twitter.com slash retroist. I'd like to thank the many people who contributed to the show. It's quite a list, so bear with me. First off, I'd like to thank Metagirl. You can find Metagirl on the podcast and on the Retroist. If you have feedback for her, you can email her at metagirl at retroist.com. I'd like to thank Rick Reynolds. Rick is a retro gamer who collects Intellivision. You can find his website at rickandviv.net. That's rickandviv.net. Thanks to Chris. Chris blogs on the Retroist as Dr. Quest. If you want to read more from Dr. Quest, Chris, you should check out the Retroist to search Dr. Quest. Thanks to Vin Vectrix for his great story. You can find Vin Vectrix on the site. Just do a search on his name. That's Vin with the Vectrix video game system tagged on there. Thanks to Weird Paul for another great submission. Weird Paul has submitted here on the podcast before. In addition to being a great musician, Paul is also a vlogger. Probably one of the first vloggers in the world. You should tell everybody about that because it's true. If you want proof, you can go to his YouTube channel where he's been posting his vlogs that he started in 1984. And that's at youtube.com slash user slash weirdpaulp. Or you could just search Weird Paul on YouTube. He's posting old stuff, new stuff, great stuff. In particular, you should check out his McDonald's Breakfast 1984 video review. It is outstanding. And the fact that it was done in 1984 and looks so much like what people do on the internet today will blow your mind. I'd like to thank Eric LeFaber. Eric has a custom action figure art blog called Insidious Customs, and you can find that at insidiouscustoms.blogspot.com. Thanks to Rob O'Hara for his contribution. As always, you can find Rob on the website. He used to post his flack, now he posts his Rob O'Hara. He's a regular on the Retroist and the Retroist podcast, but he also has his own podcast, You Don't Know Flack, which you can find at robohara.com. And he also contributes to Throwback Reviews, which you can find at throwbackreviews.com. Thanks to CT for his memory of Hardee's. CT has his own blog and podcast called Nerd Lunch, where I have appeared. You can find more about the blog, podcast, and CT at nerdlunch.net. For more information about Tom Burgess, you can visit his website, igrewupstarwars.com. Finally, last but not least, thanks to Vic Sage. Vic is an editor and regular contributor to the Retroist and the Retroist podcast. You can find Vic all over the site. If you have feedback for him, you can email him at vicsage at retroist.com. Again, thanks everyone for sharing our memories. If you have memories of your own you'd like to share, you can do so in the comments on the site. I'd love to hear them. Thanks for listening to the show, and I hope you have a great weekend. So then I would run back and forth between the Burger King parking lot and the arcade parking lot. What I didn't know was that there was a taco restaurant right next door. I never went to that taco restaurant. That taco restaurant went out of business. That is not important at all. What am I talking about? I lost my train of thought. Tacos. This has been a retrospective production. Goodbye.